Well, as a congregation, obviously, we are walking our way through the Gospel of Luke, and today we'll be in chapter 16. But before we dive into that, I will be speaking a little bit later about Monopoly, the game Monopoly. You know, how many, how many of you played Monopoly growing up? Uh, most of us, right? Okay. And you know how Monopoly games end, right? As studies have been done that about 4% of Monopoly games end because somebody won, right? <laughs> 19% end because three hours passed and you got bored, right? But a full 77% end like this, right? Isn't that how most of them end? It's not over until somebody flips that table, man. And that's how you know the game is over. Now, uh, those stats might not be entirely real. You know 83% of all statistics are made up. Think about it, okay? So, uh, anyway, we'll, we'll be talking about Monopoly in a little bit, but first I want to get into our passage. As I said, we're in Luke 16, and here's the most of the passage that we'll be looking at this morning. Verses 1 to 7 say this. He said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses." So, summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. And he said to another, And how much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. What just happened there? That was just kind of strange. This is a very interesting parable. You'll notice that sometimes debts were recorded in commodities like oil and wheat. But what's happening here is this dishonest manager, this guy stinks at his job. He's shady. And so he gets found out. He's getting canned. He's been pink slipped. He's on his way out. You're, we're getting rid of you, man. And, and before he leaves, he goes, man, what am I going to do? Because this guy is evidently not a manly man, all right? He doesn't want to mess up his pedicure. This is, you blue-collar guys, these are the white-collar pencil necks you make fun of, right? I, I know about it, all right? So, so, and then they, so this guy can't dig. He can't do manual labor. He's too proud to beg. <laughs> you notice the third option that's just not even on the table? Getting another job as a financial manager, like, yeah, you're done, right? So that's not happening. So he's thinking, what am I going to do? Because I'm used to being a man of status, and now I'm not, how am I going to provide for my, I know what I'll do, right? So he gets, what he does is he gets shrewd. Have you heard the, the phrase, hire slowly, fire fast? This is why. <laughs> right here, this is why you fire fast. And so what he does is he calls in his master's debtors one by one, and he says the first, hey, how much do you owe? And the first guy says, well, I owe 100 measures of oil. Now, you don't know how much that is. That's 800 gallons, probably of olive oil. Uh, how much is that worth? About the, the average person's like three years' salary, okay? And he cuts that debt in half. Now, scholars are differ on this, but roughly, he wrote off 
about $75,000, all right? So that's a, big, that's a lot of money on the table. And then he does the same thing with the guy in wheat and all that. So this is a lot of money that he's doing. Now, what kind of system is that? Think, think about it. Next time the electric company sends you your bill, you just take that, scratch out their amount, cut it in half, write that in, and send them a check for half. And then they turn off your electricity, right? Like, that's not a good thing. It doesn't work like that. So how, it, it, what's going on here is, is that this dishonest manager is basically buying friends with his master's money as he's on the way out the door. If you were the master, how would you respond to that? I mean, you would be furious, right? This is where it gets really confusing. Look at this. We'll pick it up in the next verse, verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. You know how I respond to that? What? What was that? The manager, excuse me, the master commends, not condemns, he commends the dishonest manager from doing that. This dude is basically stealing from his master in order to buy favor. And, and the master is like, well played, my friend, well played. That's just crazy. Now, this is known as a difficult parable to understand at face value because at first, it appears as if our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is affirming someone for being dishonest, for being shady. So what do we do with this? Well, we know Jesus is for honesty and against dishonesty. It's very clear. Read the Bible. It's in there. So... If not, what is he commending? Well, it stares you in the face twice there. He does not commend dishonesty. He commends shrewdness. It's repeated there twice, right? So, so yes, this guy is dishonest, but he is also shrewd. And here's the interesting thing. Jesus is displaying to us that even when somebody is shady and bad, you can commend something good in their life. As evangelical Christians, we're very reticent to do this. So not too long ago, I used an illustration in a sermon where I played a clip from The Ellen Show. And as part of that, I said, I love Ellen. She's hilarious. And yeah, I got emails. <laughs> you know, because you know, don't you know she's a lesbian? Yes, I know. But just because she's a lesbian, she can't be funny? Just because there's one issue in her life, I can't commend her for something else? Like, we, do you, you understand, we're all messed up just like Ellen, right? Can we commend stuff in each other? No, there's crap in your life. I know, so I, there's nothing good. No, Jesus is showing even when he sees something bad in someone, he can still commend the good stuff in their life. And that is what he is doing. He is not affirming dishonesty, but shrewdness. Shrewdness is good. Elsewhere, Jesus told us to be innocent as doves, shrewd as serpents. 
Okay, so dishonesty, honesty, that's an innocence issue. Innocent as doves, don't be dishonest, but shrewd as serpents. And what he's doing right here is he's talking to his disciples. You'll see that at the very beginning, verse one. He's talking to his disciples and he's saying, I want you guys to be shrewd. Very shrewd. That means to be clever, wise, smart, efficient, effective. All those things, listen to that list again. Clever, wise, smart, efficient, effective. That's stuff you do at your jobs. Why do you do it at your jobs and not for issues of faith? Right? And that's what Jesus is saying here. He wants us as his disciples to be clever, wise, smart, efficient, effective in issues of faith. He is not commending the dishonesty in a shrewd manager. He is commending the shrewdness in a dishonest manager. You see that? What we'll see then is that this issue of money that he uses to get at this This is not incidental or accidental. Okay, so it's not like Jesus wanted to talk about shrewdness and he just so happened to pick the example of money to talk about. That's not it at all. He is specifically talking about shrewdness with money. And you'll see that in the passage more and more. Let me just warn you then. What we are talking about this morning is issues of generosity and giving and stewardship. How many of you just mentally said, oh, crap? (laughs) Sorry, it's in the Bible, all right? And what we do is we walk through Luke, and when when Luke talks about money, we talk about money. When Jesus talks about money, we do. And so there's a couple things that I want to get to this morning. The first one is this, that Jesus talks about leveraging now for later. Leveraging now for later. You see it at the very end there in verse 9, where he says, I tell you, Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Now he talks about unrighteous wealth. That's worldly, earthly wealth. Wealth here and now. The stuff in your bank account. And what he says is when that fails you. Did you notice it's not if that fails you? It's when. Because there's... There's a shelf life on that. It will end. At some point, the game of Monopoly ends and all the money goes back in the box and it goes on the shelf. So it's not when, but if it ends, you know, again, when somebody flips the table, you collect it off the floor and put it back in the box. It will end, right? So the question is, what what motivated this dishonest manager? It's that he knew it was about to end right? He knew it was over and he better start thinking about the next phase and how can I leverage now for later? And Jesus is saying, will you do that? Will you understand that this phase right now is just like a game of Monopoly? It's going to end. It has a shelf life. And will you think about later? Will you leverage now for later? Our time here is limited. It will fail. It will end. And so evidently, you can make friends for yourself who will welcome you into the eternal dwellings. Now, you understand that this is not an issue that if I give money, somehow I buy favor with God and therefore get saved. That's not it. But what he is saying is that there is a connection between our generosity on earth and reward in heaven. Because who are the friends that welcome us? It's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You understand that there are no human friends that can get you into heaven. Only God himself. And so would you leverage your generosity now for eternal reward then? That's what he's saying. A 
phrase that we've encountered on that is from uh, Maximus in the beginning of the movie Gladiator, you know, where he said, what we do in life echoes in eternity. Uh, That's a very poetic way to put it, but maybe we go to Christian missionary Jim Elliott who had this famous phrase, you know, he gave his life in missions to reach an unreached tribe, and he said he is no fool. That means he's shrewd, right? He is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That's just shrewd. That's leveraging now for later. And remember, Jesus is talking to his disciples. There's an issue of eternal reward on the other side. And he's saying, plan ahead, people. Be shrewd, be smart. Sometimes the children of this world are more shrewd in planning for the things of this world than the children of light are in planning for the issues of eternity. Be shrewd, more shrewd than that. Jesus wants us to leverage now for later. All right, that's the first leverage. Now, th- there's three more, and they come from kind of the, the rest of the passage, and I want to look then at that with you. Here's the next verses, verses 10 through 13. Jesus says, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. All right, we're going to walk through that. And I'm going to point out a few things we should leverage. The, the next one is that, uh, secondly, we want to leverage small for big. Leverage small for big. He says, if you're faithful in a little, you'll be faithful in much. If you're dishonest in a little, you'll be dishonest in much. Now, some of us say, listen, God, I'm going to be really generous. Like, if you let me win the lottery, right, don't we, we kind of play these games. If I win the lottery, I will give a lot then. No, you won't. Because that's just a change in scope. Whatever you're doing with little is what you'll do also with much. If you're being generous now with what you've been entrusted, you'll be generous then. If you're not being generous now, you won't be generous then. That's the principle. You want to leverage the small for the big. So giving and generosity is not an issue for when we win the lottery. It is a daily, weekly issue of the character of the disciple, no matter how much he's entrusted to you, do you do it? And I love the idea that character, character gets revealed in the big moments, but character is forged in those small, seemingly mundane, normal moments of our lives when we make little choices. Maybe you've heard the phrase that if you sow a thought, you reap an action. Sow an action, you reap a habit. Sow a habit, you reap a character. Sow a character, you reap a destiny. And it all just starts with little mundane daily things. 
So what he's saying here is if you're generous with little, you'll be generous with much. If you're stingy and selfish with little, you'll be stingy and selfish with much. And given that reality, all of us want God to entrust us with more money, right? Uh, let me Walk a mile in his shoes. Based on your current level of giving with what you have now, if you were God, would you entrust you with more money? Faithful with little, faithful with much. He wants us to be more shrewd than that. He wants us to leverage the small for the big. All right, then third, he wants us to leverage the fake for the real. This is ridiculous. All right. It's only 8.30. All right, so he wants us to leverage the fake for the real. Now, where do I get that? So as we continue through the passage, he talks about unrighteous wealth. I've told you that's worldly, earthly wealth, right? He compares that to true riches. Now, if you have something that's true, that means you have something that's fake. So we're supposed to leverage the fake for the real. And for this, I need a volunteer. Who's, who's my volunteer going to come up here and help me out? I don't want to burn a lot of time here. Come on, Big Mike. Come on up here. We're, we're going to play a little game. I got some Monopoly money right here. I got a 20 and I got a 10. Which one do you want? That's a smart man. That's a smart man. I'm going to give this 10. No, don't put it in your pocket, man. See this shady guy? Dude. All right, I'm going to give this 10 to Tim right there. Okay, now, uh, based on the game of Monopoly, right now you're beating him. You got twice as much. If we call the game right now, you win. You got way, you've got twice as much money as he does, right? Okay, the problem is, of course, it's fake money, right? Okay, so now if you're committed to the game of Monopoly, you want to stay just like you are, right? Okay, now what I'm going to tell you, I'm going to play the role of God because I think a lot of myself, no, it's not true, but I'm going to play God's role here. And what I'm going to tell you is if you are willing to give up that fake money to Tim, it will be replaced with true riches. Now, what that means is he'd have 30, you'd have zero. You would be clearly losing the game of Monopoly, all right? In this kind of temporary unrighteous wealth, you lose, all right? So what do you want to do? Okay, that's a big issue right now. You got to decide, do you trust me, right? Okay, so you got to decide what, what it's all about, right? But I'm telling you, if you would give up that money to Tim, it would be replaced with true riches. What do you want to do? Well, true riches sounds like more than 20 of Monopoly money, maybe. True. I want to know what those true riches are. That's true, but this is also not your sermon. So, um, <laughs> so you got to make this decision more quick, brother. What do you want to do? All right, trust it. Go ahead and give it to him. All right, there you go. There you go. This is your favorite Sunday ever. Go sit down. Give him a hand. You got made a good choice. All right, so, yeah, he just really got 20 bucks. Isn't this a good Sunday? All right, but listen. Think about it. How many of you parents, you're watching your kids play Monopoly? Your son has a stack. I mean, and you say, son, if you give up all that fake Monopoly money, you give all that to your sister, I'm going to replace it dollar for dollar for the real stuff. Move that right on over, right? It's fake money. Who in the world would not take that deal? The answer is us. Every day. God is saying, if you are willing to give up that fake temporary earthly stuff, I'll replace it with true riches. We're like, eh. 
Why? Because Mike was nailing it. Part of the issue is I've got to decide what is life really about. What, what is true wealth? And can I trust God? And if I can, absolutely. And if I can't, I'm holding on to my unrighteous wealth. That's the way it plays out. Jesus is saying this. He's saying that stuff in your bank account, that's monopoly money. That's fake stuff. And if you trust him, and if you get generous, he will replace it with true eternal riches. Now, you might lose the monopoly game as a result. Okay? It's not health and wealth here on earth. But it's true riches that replace it. The question is, what do you think life is about? Can you trust God? What is true wealth? And Jesus is saying, be shrewd. I want you to leverage the fake for the real. All right, we only have one more leverage thing. And that is, as you look down there, we start to leverage his for mine. If you're a Christian disciple, who owns your money? Now, you know the good Sunday school answer, right? Uh, the answer is that God owns all our money. It says in there, and if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Remember that dishonest manager in the parable was giving away not his own money, but his master's money. That's why he could be recklessly and wildly generous because it was somebody else's money he was playing with. And what we're supposed to understand as disciples is that we are not owners, we're managers, we're stewards. That's why it's called stewardship. It's somebody else's money that we are managing here. Once we realize that it is not ours, oh man, we can be so recklessly generous. And Jesus is saying that that money in your account is not yours, it's his. Go be wildly generous. Think about this. What if? What if I took out another mortgage on my home? I set up a bank account with $100,000 in it, in your name. And you have one stipulation from me. You just got to give it away. Wouldn't that be a riot? Think of any, any time you pass that guy at, at the street corner, you don't get into that tension battle and you're like, yeah, sure, man, right? Uh, any, anybody in need, any relative, any friend, any person in the church in need, you're like on it. Rick's money, I don't care, right? A missionary asks you for support. Sure, this is fun, right? Or what about giving to your church? Oh, man, I'm going to double my, well, it's actually Rick's money, but I don't care, right? You're just giving it away. It would be so fun. What if a year into it, I come to you and I find out that you've been spending all that money on toys for yourself? We'd have an issue, wouldn't we? And that's the situation. God's saying, that's my money. And I've given you a mission and we are not spending it like it's his. We're spending it like ours. We think we're owners. We're not. We're managers. We have to be more shrewd than that by having a blast giving his money away. So, here's what we've looked at so far. We want to be shrewd. There we go. Shrewd with money, which means we're leveraging now for later. We're leveraging small for big. We're leveraging fake for real. We're leveraging his for mine. Basically, that dishonest manager was very shrewd. He was using money that wasn't his, in order to set himself up for later. And Jesus is saying exactly, do that. Do just that. 
So we use money that belongs to God, doesn't belong to us, we're just stewards, and we are recklessly generous giving it away, and that sets us up for later. That's eternal reward. Jesus is saying, be smart. No, 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 be shrewd. Do just that. Does it seem to you guys like the Bible talks a lot about money? It, it actually does. There's over 2,300 verses on money alone. 15% of Jesus' teachings have to do with money. He told 39 parables, almost a third of them, 11 of them were on money. It was his most talked about topic. Why? Because it gets at the heart. I didn't choose the topic. We're just marching through Luke. And when Jesus talks about this, we talk about it. But he talks about it a lot because it's a powerful topic at getting, discerning our true hearts. It's not just about who owns your money. It's about who owns you. And you see that at the very end of our passage there. That it's about who owns you. Now, it's an issue of idolatry, of faith, of trust. This is a faith issue. Think about how we treat money. It's our protection, our provision. It's our security, our, our, our pleasure. It, it's our meaning and our identity and our sense of worth. So we sacrifice for it. We serve it. We worship it. That's your God. Money's your God. And that's slavery. Money can be a wonderful tool, but it is a horrible master. And what Jesus is saying at the very end of our passage here, if you look at this, he says, you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus wants so much more for us than that. He says, no servant can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Notice he didn't say you should not. You can't. It's impossible. You'll serve one or the other, but not both. We want to lie to ourselves and say we'll do both, but it doesn't work that way. And so if you serve God, well, then, then we can leverage now for later. We can leverage small for big, fake for real, his for mine. I, I, I earn, in that, in that situation when God's my master, I earn so that I can give. Do you know Ephesians 4 says that? That the reason we're supposed to labor with our own hands is so that we can have something to give away. When God's my master, I earn so I can give. That's my mentality. And it's fun to give and it's hilarious. But when money is the master, when money is the master, I earn so that I can have. I earn so that I can keep. And money keeps me. And so what I'm suggesting there is that our actions in this area are just a necessary outcropping of our faith, of who our God really is. So again, it's not that we give money in order to buy our way into heaven. That's not it. Uh-uh. We don't do these good deeds to earn favor with God. Instead, what's happening is I've shifted my faith from a false God to the real God. He's now my master. I shift my trust. I shift my kingdoms. I shift my faith. That's where salvation comes in. It's a faith decision. But as a result of shifting that, now I have a new master. And as a disciple that increasingly comes out in my life, I live that out. And I want to because after all, eternal reward is on the line. 
but I don't give to be accepted by God. I'm accepted by God, therefore I give. One's the cause, one's the effect, right? So the cause is the gospel and grace and adoption, and it's beautiful. The effect is worship. As a result, I worship. But do you know stewardship is worship? Stewardship is worship. Worship is not just singing. Worship is also swiping and signing. Stewardship is worship. So the ultimate question is, which one is your master? God or money? And as Christians, we pretend. We pretend. We, we know the right Sunday school answer, and we spit that out. But our heart really wrestles, and our giving is limited. And that's slavery. And Jesus loves us so much more than that. And so he's being honest with us and he's begging us to be honest with ourselves. A lot of pastors don't like teaching on money and giving. I love it. I absolutely love it. Because there is a huge heart issue of discipleship on the line this morning. And this is about slavery and freedom. And it's powerful and it's revealing. And this huge heart issue where we could shift today where God is truly our master. I love teaching on this stuff. But here's the problem. As disciples, when we give, we tend to give in three areas. One is to just uh, generously help out needs that we encounter in other people's lives. Then secondly, we tend to give towards missionaries. And third is really the first one, that I believe the lion's share of your giving should go to your local church. So you see the problem. When I preach on this stuff, I have mixed motives. And you don't trust me. And I get it. So I want to let you know a few things. Number one, this is not some televangelist scheme. If you give more, I don't make more. Okay, uh, actually, my salary is set by the elders, and I make uh, significantly below average for somebody in my position with this size church, and I love it. I'm totally cool with that. I don't touch the money ever. I also, uh, I generally don't know how much people give. Our members sign a covenant to commit to giving. We have no mechanism for tracking that. Still, I didn't want any confusion over today's message. So I went to the elders and I asked them to do something. I said, can we give this week's offering away? That's why we haven't given yet today. We're going to do it after the message. 100% of whatever's given this week is going right out the door. And let me show you where it's going. At least these three ministries right here. The top two pictures in the upper left is a ministry called Mobility Worldwide, formerly called Pet Carts. They have a factory right here in Stowe that we might start volunteering at and helping out with. What they do is they, uh, for disabled people in more poor parts of the world, sometimes, listen, a wheelchair doesn't work on a trail in the forest, right? So you got to have something more girthy than that with the tires, but still hand cranked. And and then it's made of wood because if it breaks out there, like you don't go on Google to Amazon or whatever and order parts, right? So you got to be able to fix it. So that's on the upper left, and we'll be sending carts out to uh, kids around the world and people uh, that need those disabled folks. On the bottom left, you see Roblialto, that's the Los Guidos um, 
what is that? The Losquito Slum, really. Uh, but uh, the kids there to the right of that. So Roble Alto is in Costa Rica. This is the orphanage and child care association that many of us have gone down toward. Great, great ministry. Their health fund is in need. From that, it's where they buy uh, sunscreen, but also eyeglasses, orthopedic shoes, head lice, vacuums, things like that. Their health fund is in great need. And then on the right there, you see not the physically poor, but the spiritually poor. So what that gentleman is holding is a a solar-powered MP3 player with the scripture in his language. That's in southern Mexico, Oaxaca, when you've heard about us going down there. And, and they don't all speak Spanish. There's all these various dialects. And they don't have the scriptures and they can't read, some of them. And so we're able to get them and they can hear the scriptures in their own language for the first time. But those little players cost. And so what we're going to do is this week's offering, everything is going 100%. If we have more, we'll give more to other, but it's all going out the door. Because what I want to do is I want us to be a people that choose God is our master. It's his money anyway. Let's go be recklessly, wildly, hilariously generous with someone else's money. And let's give it away and as a move and it doesn't benefit our church at least. Let's just send it out the door. Would you do that with me today? We'll worship in a bit and we'll sing and we'll give during that time. But first, let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for your grace, for you know we are dishonest managers, and yet you let us in the house anyway. You let us in the family. You started entrusting us with your resources, and you know we're shady at times, and yet by grace you let us in. I pray that you would lead us as your children, as your disciples, to be more generous, more giving, more gracious people, where we would just have a blast giving your money away. Lead us there, Father God. Purify our hearts of what we truly think life is about, what we think true riches are about, what we think now and eternity is like. Purify our hearts there, please, as we worship you. And I pray in Christ's name, amen.